Welcome to my primo's podcast. My name is Freddy, and with me tonight is my primo and yours, Mr. Kevin Garcia.com. Yo. Say what's up, Kevin? What's up, Kevin? I am here and I'm ready to go. I hate you. But you know what? That's you, and I love you, primo. But thank you guys. For you know joining what? us I was today. As you're saying it, welcome to my Primo's podcast. This is really our Primo's podcast. You our are part Primo's of us. Podcast. It is all of our podcasts. It is all the Primo's podcast. Exactly. Maybe at the next uh, employee function, we can kind of decide if we want to make that big of a change. Mm-hmm. You let us know at my Primo's podcast. But for now, today's show is brought to you by myprimospodcast.com. <laughs> yes, I finally got it up and running. So please, Primo's, go check out our stuff there great page you can find a word from our youtube all our socials just a one-stop shop for everything we're doing obviously more to come more to grow on there but kevin i've been in california hold on i'm distracted week. right now i'm looking at my podcast.com i'm seeing this beautiful logo i'm seeing okay. this beautiful oscar garza art that's that's amazing amazing i can see oh the ai takeover uh one of the other episodes and the flash episode bunch of episodes here I'm enjoying the website. I'm sorry. I got distracted. Tell me about California. Okay. Look at that. Wow. Look at that, guys. If the guy that's on the show is distracted, he was on the episode. He sees the art. He sees us every day. And he goes to the website and he's entranced and just can't pull away. Go ahead and enjoy it, primos. Definitely. But I've been in California for the last week visiting family out here. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you follow sports, whatnot, but I'm wearing my LAFC hat. Thanks to my sister. Uh, we're in first sports. place now. You know, how about that? Yeah, good times. I, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I, I don't want to be like a jerk about it, but I'm one of those guys that's like, I don't understand sports ball. I don't mean that to make fun of it because like I get why people like it. Um, I just, I don't get it. And, and and I think part of it's people do a lot of times the opposite of what their parents do. My dad's been a coach my whole life. And so maybe <clears> I, uh-oh. I'm rebelling against sports. I have no idea what to tell you. He, he's a good guy. He's a really is a good guy. I just, um, I just don't know sports. Point is LAFC soccer for MLS. Uh, they're in first place because of last night's win. Uh, it's the time of this being recorded. But today, Kevin, I'm going to put that out there because why not? I'm wearing the gear. But Kevin, here we are. We've been talking about this, wanting to sit down, have conversations about it. It's been long enough. What I love is that, you know, we've been wanting to talk about Spider-Verse for a bit. And even though the movie has been out for several weeks now, the internet has not stopped talking about it. And for all the good reasons, all the best reasons, you know, this is a movie that is currently at the tip of the cultural zeitgeist. This is what people are paying attention to. This is what people are talking about. And well, you know what? I said all the right reasons. There are some negatives, um, but those are also negatives that wouldn't be there if the movie wasn't so good. Like you wouldn't care about those things if the movie wasn't so good. So overall, I'm glad what you, when you contacted me and said, hey, let's sit down and talk about Across the Spider-Verse. So Across the Spider-Verse, but let's first gush about the original. Because yeah, we, you, we can't really dive into this one without at least acknowledging how big of, that, of a film that was and what it did for the comic book movies. Because you said it yourself, the best yep. superhero movie. The best Spider-Man Period. movie, is what I said. Well, so, so, yeah, so, so people who don't know my background, I've, I've been in comics for years uh for the hell you say about 10 years i was i was working with marvel doing (laughs) research for them and writing books writing histories for them right and uh so i'm deep in the lore in fact the last thing i did for marvel was a multiverse spider-man thing i was uh, doing this event called spider geddon i did the the origin and life story of the japanese spider-man the live action spider-man um and 
while I, I love all the Spider-Man movies for the different reasons, I've often said uh, Tobey Maguire is my favorite Peter Parker, and Andrew Garfield is probably my favorite Spider-Man in terms of his attitude. I don't like the writing, but that's something else. Um, and then, um, and then Tom Holland is my favorite overall Spider-Man and Peter uh, and Peter Parker. That's a good way to put that. Yeah. The uh, the in, the Into the Spider-Verse movie was the best Spider-Man movie flat out, and it's not even about Peter Parker. It, it is. It's about Spider-Man. It's about all of us are Spider-Man, and specifically Miles. And, and I love it. I love it so much. Uh, that first film, I mean, everything from the animation mm, to it. how music played a role. It was part. It was a character in the film. And I, I have a friend who said that she had no interest in seeing the movie, and then when she heard the music drops being incorporated into the film in the trailer, she's like, "I have to see this. I have to see it now." And and the animation, people can't stop talking about that. The fact that they keep changing the frame rate, which is not something that was in the general conversation prior to this. I mean, people who know video games hardcore talk about it. People who know animation hardcore talk about it. But now general uh, uh, moviegoers know about frame rate differences, specifically because Miles, before he became confident as Spider-Man in the first film, was animated with fewer frames. And, and it, it affected how the audience interpreted him. And it was amazing. That whole thing, and we'll touch on it here, was one of the new characters we meet from the film. Get to that. Um, definitely. But that, things like that, my, you know, animation, my son, like he loves animation, he loves art, and he's all about the frame rates and all that. And you can geek out or just be a fan and, and, and be absorbed in the heart that this movie, this first film, gave us. You know, everything from just become, becoming your identity, finding your identity, uh, fighting your expectations from other people, which is always a Spider-Man, you know, theme, right? Yeah. The, the, the expectation from everything around you and then being true to yourself, uh, of course, is trying to just be a good human being at the end of the day. But that's the first film. But we're here tonight to talk about, of course, the sequel, which has been mm -hmm. before we dive, dive, dive in, because I'm going to get rid of it. First of all, we're going to we're going to go kind of bird's eye view. Obviously, we'll dig more and more as we go. But what were your thoughts when you found out that this was going to get split into part two and part three? Because initially... Let me say my thoughts. I was bummed, but then I sat back and thought about it, and I was like, you know what? If I can have more Spider-Man and they're gonna take their time, take your time. I'm down to have a four-hour experience if it's gonna if it's gonna be worth my. I'll be heartbreaking if it's not worth it, but uh, I, I feel like it is. But initially, what were your thoughts when you heard they're gonna split this up? You know, it, to me, it's it's funny. It's it's how you phrase it, right? When they first announced that they were saying splitting it up uh, cross Spider-Verse Part 1, cross Spider-Verse Part 2. Um, and the problem with that is, is it calls to mind movies like uh, The Hobbit or Twilight or um, Harry, Harry Potter, Potter or yeah. I think they may have done it with Hunger Games as well, where they took yes. books that were intended as a single story and split them into two. Um, and, and those were, were seen as cash grabs, seen as, yes. as dragging out a story that was already kind of dragged out for some of these cases. Um, and it was unnecessary, but it's different for me when it is an, a, let's call it an interpreted property, right? Let's say Avengers. When they announced that Avengers uh, Infinity War was going to be part one and part two initially, I was excited. I was really hopeful that they were going to like spread this out because the idea is, is that they're not adapting a single story. They're adapting tons of stories and then changing it as they go. Now, of course, I was, I'm, I'm in the minority here, but I'm disappointed by how Endgame turned out. I have a lot of problems with that. We've never talked about it in this podcast, but I do have a lot of problems with it. Mm, you've mentioned it a few but, times. But 
I am super excited about this for a couple of reasons. Number okay. one, I'm excited because as you said, this is a story, it's an interpreted story. Like I was saying, it's not an, an adaptation where they can do whatever they want with it and expand on it. But number two, I have complete faith in these creators. I mean, these are, uh, we have, first off, uh, one of the co-directors, the guy that did Soul, which is an amazing, amazing film. Um, but the other two, uh, Lord and Miller, they're the ones that did um, A Cloud of the Chance of Meatballs. They're the ones that did um, Mitchell's versus the Machines. Uh, they, they've done. But you so can't many, stop talking about the, the Lego, which people need to watch. Uh, the Lego Movie. You know, these guys have done so many things that just you're like, how does that work? And they make it work. And part of it is bringing in the director of Soul, bringing in people that are maybe from from whatever community they need to be part of, and say, hey, yeah. what can we do to make this better? And and uh, we know from behind the scenes interviews and stuff that they did even even beyond that. By incorporating uh, the actors and, and other people in the script, which I think is, these are people that if you told me they wanted to make a five movie uh, quintology out of this, I would be like, go for it. I trust you. <laughs> there's enough. There's enough content to make it happen. I think because a piece of me initially was like, oh, like why? Because it, the, the, first of all, I think the biggest letdown was the delay. Because remember, it had an earlier uh, release date. They said, well, hey, we're pushing it back another year. Not only that, we're also splitting it up. So in my initial reaction was like, damn, I got to wait another year and I'm splitting up the movie and I got to wait another year after that just to get that. But that's me whining. First world problem, right? But when I kind of sat back about it, and even with my son, my son's like, well, you know, he, he, my son kind of like, kind of made me kind of back up and go, he's like, it takes a long time. It takes a long time to do that. Like my son sits here last night, not even kidding you. I went out with some friends for the soccer game, came back, he's on the computer, and he's literally just typing typing code. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm making a visual novel. And I'm like, okay, that's what you're into right now? He's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, I like it. And I go, isn't that long? Do you have a script? He goes, no, I'm building the skeleton, and then I'm building the code. But I, but I like it. But it takes time. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Good stuff takes time. You know what? I want to I expand on that even more. Uh, there's a lot of controversy. There's been a lot of controversy ever since Life of Pi, for that matter, about uh, the animated animators in the movie industry not being treated with respect. Um, I saw an animator online put it this way: in that a studio will say, "We need exactly 1,000 FX shots in this movie. Uh, who can give us the cheapest price?" And one FX shot could be anything from we just need to remove the wires from Peter Pan while he flies by to we need an entire space armada flying in as the world is evolving into another. Yeah. So like that's a lot of work that is not being properly, uh, you know, paid, properly respected, acknowledged, acknowledged, but all indications are from this film that the people who worked on it loved it, that they felt like they were being respected. Um, even uh, now, a lot of the animators have been posting behind the scenes stuff on their on their Twitter, on their TikTok, and nobody is saying to them, no, you can't do that because they're like, no, I enjoyed this. Let me tell you why I enjoyed it. And that's amazing. Like there's there's one guy who's been posting all of these like concept sketches for how each of these characters were meant to be designed. Yeah, uh, I saw that. One that's character. Like Spider-Punk. Yeah, like, exactly. oh, I love him, but yeah. We, we have a cowboy character that shows up and we don't see his face. Apparently he's designed to look like Pedro Pascal underneath the, the mask, yes. which is hilarious because it's just like, Hey, Papa Pascal, I want him in everything. Um, I know we're not, I'm not going to 
like sit here and, and, and circle the pool, if you will, on this one. But it kind of touches on our concerns with the visual effects with Flash. And I know we're, we're past Flash, but just, just to kind of have a fan slow back and listen, primos. I feel like um, I feel like the Flash uh, is in conversation with this movie for multiple reasons. Um, obviously, there's the multiverse thing, which is also ties in No Way yeah, Home and Multiverse of Madness. But the actual premise of the Flash is, if you bear it down to bare bones, the same premise of this movie, which I don't want to get into yet. But no, no, we, we will I, get there's down a there. A lot of reasons to look at these two in concert. But so, so I think I want to touch on the visual effects part of it and the effort and the time and the respect we give these people. There was a gentleman on TikTok, uh, which I wish I, I, I think I saved it, but I'll probably repost it. In so many words, what you were saying, he goes, I worked on Flash. And he goes, the issue is that we have to bid on how many mm-hmm. scenes we can knock out at a certain it. time. And he's like, this is what they wanted. If a simple thing is one scene is removing wires, but one scene is the armada, like you yep, said. That, yep, that, that's the same video. I was, I was thinking yeah. it was different. Video, and I, I was like, that. wow, like to him to break it down like that. And he goes, and he was worked on that. And he's like, yes, the visual effects sucked because of this reason. And it was like, damn, it opened me up. And now I think about Spider-Verse and how this film is being treated and how Sony's animation in general, like you said, they, they kind of kick ass. Like you don't really have that. Like eh, it could have looked better. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs looked awesome. That movie's what fifteen years old, and it still holds up. You know, not yeah, just content, that, but visually. That movie, and, and this is I know I'm gushing out about a movie. Yeah, 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 years old. But that movie did something that no CGI movie had done up to that point, and that showed that you could have the squash, the the, the, the squash and stretch of goofy hand drawn animation in CGI. Because up to that point, everybody had been trying to do rigid, trying to do realistic. When they were being cartoony, they were like, well, they're toys or they're ants. But they still yeah. felt like plastic models. And that movie said, no, these guys are made out of rubber. And it worked perfect. And with all that being said, and all the conversations we're going to have about this film, when we come back, we're going to have a spoiler-free review, thoughts, and more for your people. Just came to my senses, yo. I stay in another dimension. Fear. Kevin, I want you to lead us into this one. Okay. Well, I mean, spoiler free review is something that I, that I think about a lot because I really want people to uh, be able to to appreciate something um, going in as openly as possible. You know what I mean? I don't want to talk about about the plot and everything like that. Yeah. That being said, this is a movie that has had so many views. It, it is. Um, it challenged, you know, Pixar and Warner Brothers for the opening spot weeks after it came out. So that this movie is is really being received by audiences. But why is that? So so we already mentioned earlier that I think that a, Into the Spider Verse is one of the greatest, or the greatest Spider Man movie, one of the greatest superhero movies. It's also a really great kids movie that adults can enjoy. I love this movie, but I feel like this is an adults movie that kids might enjoy. Mm. And that's that's how I would okay. sum up uh, yeah, across Spider-Verse. Now, again, that's not a knock on it. I'm not saying I don't like it. I obviously love it. But this is a movie way more so than the first movie that feels like it's written for a, uh, for an adult audience. I agree. I think that my thoughts initially are similar, but it, it does feel like a setup movie. And it mm. doesn't feel like a Miles movie. 
And what do you I mean walked, by set, what do you mean by setup movie? I think it's literally the 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 building block to the film we wanted, we were promised initially. That's how I feel watching this film. Enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Okay, in, immediately I love the film. Great. Great time, great characters, great story, great music. No, I'll fight back. First one had better music. Sorry. Yeah, yeah no, I, I will say the first one had better music. Um, this one had better emotions. Not that the first one was bad at that at all, but this one goes deep into those emotions. It goes deep into this this the romance elements. It goes deep into uh, trauma. It goes deep into uh, you know both personal and external trauma. It, it yeah. goes deep into uh, the interactions with team people. Um, it, it, it goes deep into things that it doesn't outwardly identify. Like there's a lot of stuff that audiences have taken from this film that I earnestly feel were intended, but unlike a lot of films of this nature, it doesn't identify it for you as the audience. You know what I this mean? This film does not underestimate the audience. No, it does not. It doesn't take it lightly either. They're, they're, you said yourself, they're, they're presenting a, a picture multifaceted and literally multiversal but mm-hmm. they're they're presenting something that everybody from every walk of life can identify with and they're able to do it in such a manner that it's it doesn't come you don't have to be a certain and i hate to i don't know if i'm phrasing it wrong but you don't have to be the most intellectually or emotionally uh, elevated person to grasp what they're trying to tell you and it's not car- dumbed down to like a saturday morning cartoon you know what i mean you're you're given, like you said, and it's an adult film for kids to enjoy. And not, we're, not, we're not touching on those beats yet, but overall, the film is great at doing that. And what I say as a setup film is that it's literally feeding you enough. It's almost a tease, which is fine. It, it teased me. It, it excite me. Get me going, right? Um, as Walter would say, you know, get me to the edge, right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, or Mr. Mr. Eddings tends to, tends to say. Uh, but to not to not joke, like I feel that when I walked out of that film, I was not amazed. No pun intended, amazing. But it was very I felt full. Like I felt good walking out of there, like a great meal, satisfied. And you knowing that me, there's more to come. You're telling me this wasn't the ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, but it was still spectacular. It wasn't spectacular. It was amazing. So it was it was the penultimate Spider-Man for you. There you go. That's I fair. think so. Great way to put it. You know what? Something I want to touch on that's not really. I mean, because we don't we don't go deep into the plot yet, but uh, just the aspect of the fact that this is a multiverse movie. Um, okay. This is something that you know for years, ever since honestly, ever since Iron Man, people have been saying that there's going to be superhero fatigue, and I and I disagree as long as the movies evolve and as long as there's there's variety, right? Um, but. I think we may be hitting a point where there may be this kind of multiverse fatigue, except for the fact that so many films are approaching it from a new angle. Because again, it is the multiverse. There's so many new angles. Um, uh, Obviously, everything, everywhere, all at once, uh, approached the multiverse from a new angle that just blew everybody away with with almost no budget. This movie does things with the multiverse that you could not do in a live action movie, even everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, And... I love that. I love that they are taking this element that by now, years ago, the argument was general audiences aren't going to get what a multiverse is. It's going to confuse people. Now that's been introduced. We all know what it is. It's familiar. You can throw it into the flash. You can throw it into Spider-Man. We're all good. 
this is a movie that takes that prior knowledge that the audience has of what the multiverse is and then just says, here's everything we can do with that in animation. And that is amazing. I think there is something to be said, though, about uh, multiverse fatigue, I guess, if you want to call it that. Because there are people that I would speak with and I go, hey, man, Flash, Flash, you know, we give our opinion on that. Or, hey, Spider-Man. And they're like, is this one of those movies that has a bunch of Spider-Man and a bunch of different options? And it's not. And I go, yeah, yeah, if you want to dumb it down. Yeah. And they're like, ah. I just can't keep up. I don't have the energy. See, I, I don't blame them, but I feel like there's a big difference. The big difference is, is that like, say Flash, for example, they're just introducing the idea of the multiverse to that universe. And as such, you could have removed a lot of the multiverse and the plot still would have worked, right? Um, here, however, not only is it the entire plot, but they walk you through it. They don't just throw you into a new world and expect you to expect understand it until parts that we'll get into with a spoiler review but for the most part they they tell you like hey here are the rules of reality right now without actually saying that which is amazing um and i feel like like you compare it for example to multiverse of madness right where where they go to a world with dr strange and uh america and they're like well in this world um red is is a go and green is stop and it's like why you know that was just kind of ridiculous here they don't do any of that kind of explaining and yet you still get it it follows along kids can get it there's nothing to worry about and plus worrying about things being too similar whereas in the flash they're wearing almost the same costume for a good portion of the movie Uh, here every spider-man is distinct and in fact this is something i was talking to a friend of mine about before and that is spider-verse if you think about it started with the 90s cartoon and the 90s cartoon there were like five spider-man each one had like a different costume and look one yeah, of I remember. Arms and so on. And then it got picked up by uh, Dan Slott's run of Spider-Man, where, where we get the term Spider-Verse from. And it, again, yeah. it was mostly Peter Parker. It was like there were hundreds of Spider-Men there. I'd say 90% of them were, were Peter Parker. Now we've got to a new level where, yeah, there's still more than 50% Peter Parker, but there's so many different Spider-Man out there that um, you don't have any problem mixing them up. You know what I mean? Right, let's touch. Let's stop there. I'm going to play the other side of this this argument because here's the deal. At a certain point, I'm done. I don't need a Spider-Verse animated series that dives into every possible... We're going to get a Madam Web. I know that, but at a certain point, do we need more? Like, There's a point where you are going to hit that wall. We're like, well, uh, I love Spider-Verse. I love how that story ended once it does. If we get some spinoff, maybe we dip into that, our toe into that. But it, do we really need to go through multiple, multiple Spider-Men? I mean, that's comic books in general. But when it comes to the films of it, like at a certain point, you kind of need need that break. We don't need this. We need, we need to follow one, maybe two, and move forward. We don't need to follow every Spider-Man or men or people. Spider-people? Persons. Spider-personas. Thank you, Spider Personas. What do you think? Am I wrong on that? Uh, I don't think you're wrong, but I do think there's room for multiple stories. And I think in this story, that is part of the way it's being told. And I like that. Okay. But hey, we don't have to agree on everything. But overall, the one thing that I take away before we move on to the deeper dive, I think is that definitely if you enjoyed the first one, this is a must watch. And really keep an open mind. 
don't don't walk in with the same expectation as I did, but I still walked away very fulfilled. I, I will put in a caveat, and that is, um, if you want to entertain three year olds, they may not be as entertained by this movie as they were by the first. Um, that's not a negative, but it's something to be aware of. True. And plus, it was cute. My cute moment. I went to the movies. My family. I not kid you not. I love seeing little kids dressed up as Spider Man, as oh, Miles. Wow. It was awesome. I had a great I love, experience. I love when I'm in the movie and, and somebody gets hurt or whatever, and a little kid yells, No! And I'm like, All right, that's kid guy. So it's fun. Overall, bird's eye view. Definitely check it out. Definitely. Welcome back, primos. So, before we get started, before warned, we have spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. So, if you're one of the three people that hasn't seen this movie yet, go watch it. Come back. Go watch it. Come back. Please come back so we can go geek out together and really dig and you'll enjoy this in-depth review here and thoughts and just everything. First so, off, I cannot believe Darth Vader killed Superman in the third act. Definitely, man. Then Yoda, he brought back Leon from Resident Evil, the live-action movie. And then Jaws showed up and said, this is all a dream, Timmy. No, and then, guess what? Doc Brown shows up and says, where we're going, we don't need roads. All right, right, exactly. right. So all right, so here we go. Go, go, go. <clears throat> so first thing, what I want to talk about is the beginning of the film. We get Gwen. Which I'm excited mm-hmm. about. I loved Gwen in the last film. I enjoyed I that she took that role. How much she got? Dude, she got tons of time. Yeah, like in a good way. Tons of time. And I was like, okay, like feed me, give me that. Like I want to see her world, what she's dealing with. And we got that. We got that that she's dealing with her own villains, her own deals. But not only that, her own inner demons. If we want to dig it, right? That's this that whole- trauma I was talking about earlier. If we got family trauma, we got personal trauma. This idea of of somebody not being able or feeling comfortable sharing their personal tragedies and the toll that can take on a young person. Wow. The fear of being, how can I phrase this, right? What this movie did great was the fact that the pressure of being a teenager, Mm -hmm. the pressure of being a kid, anybody, especially being a young person, dealing with any type of changes, type of like secret because you're so... Society or whatever you call it, just whatever circumstances have made you feel afraid to express yourself and be honest with those that you love because you're scared of rejection. You're scared of disappointment because immediately her dad's attacking. Oh, they killed Peter. And like he, he can't let him know what's going on because she doesn't want to really bring him into all that drama. Right. Because he doesn't want to she doesn't want to lose her father the same way Peter. And like that whole mess was was awesome to watch on screen play out and tragic at the same time. I also, and this is something I want to touch on briefly. Um, there, there are different points at this conversation where I wanted to discuss um, fan theory and stuff, but but there's been this fan headcanon that uh, Gwen is very transcoded. And yeah. um, I, I think that's, it's there. It's definitely there. Um, to what extent the, the filmmakers want us to take away from that, I think that's up to the individual. But like, you have the colors of her universe, uh, which are, you know, emphasizing the colors of her costume as shown in the film. Um, you have, you know, flags and, and messages of, of pride and solidarity in her room and in her house. Um, and also her statements of just 
having something that she wants to share but doesn't feel like she'd be welcome sharing it and feeling that she's alone in this struggle. Uh, even though we know for a fact that she's got other spider friends, we yeah. know for a fact that she's got her dad who's backing her up. So the idea of her having that struggle internally, um, it, it, it sends a powerful message. And I, and I like that. Um, you know what I liked? And let's talk about something that in the beginning, most people were complaining about the audio, right? And this is, hold on. I yes, took a, that's true. Uh, I, I marinated on it. Tell me, tell me your thoughts on this. So first of all, the issue was the fact that at release, at least, I don't know mm -hmm. now, there was a huge concern because when you walk into the theater and you watch that opening scene, Gwen is playing the drums. We all know it. You watch the film. At least those that early watch it early. I don't know how it is now. Uh, yeah, that, I saw it so twice. Loud. I saw it twice. I saw it opening night and I saw it three days later. On opening night, I could barely make out her monologue in the beginning and I could barely make out her monologue right before the credits. Uh, and then when I saw it a couple days later, that audio was fixed. So here's so, my thought. Initially, I was with you like, wow, like I had to go talk to the theater manager and go, hey, man, something's wrong with this. And he, they had to lower the, the, the volume overall to try to make it bearable. OK, it was pretty tough. But then thinking back and I go, hmm, what was in my youth? I was filled with crazy thoughts. I was filled with sounds. I couldn't hear my own voice because mm -hmm. of so mm -hmm. much going on in my head. Exactly. And so. I'm thinking, damn, are they that deep that that's their goal? That was their goal? Honestly, I think or am I reading it. too much into it? No, no. I had the same thought. When I saw it opening night and I could barely make out her audio over the drums, I thought to myself, first, maybe this is an error. Then I thought, maybe this is on purpose because this yeah. is her thoughts, the way she thinks. And she thinks clearest with that drum beat. And you know what? I, it may have been on purpose and it could have been like a calculated risk that didn't pay off. So they fixed it. Um, but like I had that same thought you did that. I feel like that might have been intentional. I think that that's great that we can kind of get there because as an artist, you kind of go like, well, how can I ex 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 display that, that fight, that yeah. battle, internal battle. It's hard. And this was a great example of that. You know, and I think that, if we give the the team the credit that they're due, because we have been, we're praising oh, them. I, I, I honestly, even if this was a mistake, it was one that makes sense for the character. And so Gwen itself, like I dug that, I dug her energy, and well, I, it's tragic, you know. Yeah, we go from internal battles to external battles, and uh, we get her the reintroduction of the multiverse, which she pretends to be surprised by, like, oh no, actually, I know what this is all about. But what I love is right off the bat, the first new character we see. First off, her. Her whole world is this pastel washed out like 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 paint look where it's just kind of flowing. And then we see a guy who looks like a Renaissance uh, uh, drawing. Which I love that. Which, I love which, that. It's perfect. And then what I thought was really funny is during the battle, um, he, he loses a wing and then redraws it. And there's a little throwaway gag where, where Miguel says, he's got hammer space, which seems to be a reference to what... Spider-Ham can do. Spider-Ham, Spider yeah. Uh, but but it makes sense for a guy who's from the Renaissance, whose, I, whose whole design is based on concepts, to be able to power himself with concepts. So I, I just love that. Also, the fact that you have this like paper effect around him, like he's always being drawn on parchment. And of course, we get Miguel. I mentioned him already, uh, who has uh, got an upgrade from the last movie where he's barely barely there as a cameo. Um, yeah. His whole design is beautiful. Uh, I want to I want to get in-depth in his design in a minute. Yeah. but. But um, but then we also have Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, who 
Um, you know, what's funny is uh, obviously this character who was white in the comics and then she's black here, that that does not affect her character. But one thing that's interesting is that they show her as, as pregnant. And there were people online like, oh, how dare they have a pregnant superhero? She was pregnant and fighting crime in the comics. So that it, it's it's interesting. You know, I really want to know more about her story. Uh, one thing that I that I caught off right off the bat on this first fight scene, and I, I'm sorry if I'm rambling, uh, Freddie, interrupt me. If you I mean, you, you, you haven't apologized ever, but go, oh, wow, go ahead. I apologize constantly. Just usually myself. Sure. Um, each each spider person in this movie who is spotlighted has a unique form of webbing. All right. So like uh, Jessica Drews, hers come from her fingertips, and it's it's colored differently. Um, uh, Miguel's is like this neon that that branches out. Uh, so everybody's got their own unique webbing, and I really love that. Because even if somebody's off screen, if you see a web show up, you know who it came from. I know <laughs> that was dope. Really cool. No, I, I I dug that. But you know, when I saw the character when she came out, all that gave me was there's a mother figure. Oh, and I love there's that line. Stop me. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's a parental figure that Gwen needed at that time. Exactly what she needed. And, Literally what she needed. And I also appreciate that it has. I mean. You talked about this being a, t a teenager movie about teenagers. Um, I, I, I'm surrounded by them regularly as a teacher, and I honestly feel like these are my teenagers talking. I, I could see my, a teenager meeting somebody like that and being like, "Adopt me." I've known I've known kids that talk like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was it was beautiful. But I think course, it's great. And as we move forward, like we see Miles' current situation. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I love that lead-in for Gwen. Like, I was all in. Like, wow, this is great. And then we get, boom, Miles now. And I don't know. Like, I, I felt like Miles, overall, and I guess I'm not giving much away. Of what I'm, I mean, at this point, we're doing spoilers. But my thoughts here is that Miles felt like a secondary character. This is not a Miles Morales film, in my opinion. Um, I think at that point, he does. By the time we get to the end of the movie, I think it's 60-40. Which... Mm. I really appreciate because it's still overall Miles story, but so like um, there's been some property like, okay, I've been watching legend of Korra lately. Right. Okay. So I, I finally, sure. I, I'm yeah. very behind catching up, you know? And one thing I find interesting about this, this series is that they're telling you over and over and over again, that the women are the most powerful ones here. We have a female avatar and a female villain parts of it. And, in actuality, at least me as, a, as an audience member, women are barely on the screen. Um, you know, uh, we have uh, mother figures that just show up and leave. We have uh, other figures that should be more important, and we just focus on the father instead. In this movie, I don't feel that's the case. In this movie, we barely get Jessica Drew, but we really get her personality. In this movie, uh, we know Gwen is a main character, so they're treating her as a main character. She's got way more going on than Leia ever did in the first three Star Wars, Star Wars movies. It's, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's true. I think that the reason I bring up Miles is that because Miles is Miles is Miles. Like America, the world loves Miles Morales. Like, period. Mm -hmm. he, he checks all the boxes and unchecks boxes. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like he's he's everything and and nothing and everything. It's awesome. Like I love his energy. I love that how even the voice acting. Like he just embodies a young guy just trying to figure it out even a like, like that's that's spider-man that's peter parker that's 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 miles morales you know in his case a whole different scenario but the romantic side of it you know the fact that he he the, everybody on that team from the first movie 
is feeling the same way no matter what, where they are. And Miles is, is our conduit to that, you know, and like that everyone will, will we're helping Miles by end of the film. But when I see Miles in this scenario, a piece of me goes like, man, like, like, what have you, well, what have, you've had a year, right? Isn't that the time jump? About a year? Yeah, it's about a year, yeah. You had a year. In that year, you went from this, this kitty, kitty kind of fun, like learning the ropes and, you know, went through this big change. We saw that, that, that jump to maturity, to learn to embrace the role. You're Spider-Man now. You're doing your thing. Your dad, all that. And I feel like he be, literally becomes stagnant. Like nothing's, nothing's really popping. Well, like, But here's the thing about that. His status quo, you talk about him, you know, setting the stage and also breaking the rules. His status quo is different from most young hero status quos in that, yeah, it's true. His parents don't know he's Spider-Man, but number one, his dad's a cop, which is, you know, there's other issues around that altogether, but his dad's yeah. a cop and his dad likes Spider-Man and respects Spider-Man and also loves Miles. And I think that's amazing. I think it's great. It's, a, it's refreshing from what we get in a lot of these kind of shows. And then number two, his mom is very present. I'm so happy when the, when the first full trailer dropped and we got to have a conversation between Miles and her, I was like, yeah. I'm so glad that she's going to be a major part of the story. And she is. Um, the, the plot may, may you know reference the dad a lot as we go forward with the story, yeah. but the mom is fully there. And I really, really love that. I, I think they just did such a good job of making his world feel fleshed out. In fact, the only part of his world that isn't fleshed out is his uh, his friend who knows that he's Spider-Man. Um, and I, and I, was, <laughs> I was explaining to somebody earlier, I was like, well, it's because that if they did, everybody would think they're copying Ned from, from the Exactly. MCU. Yeah, and I saw because, that. My thing is, like, I feel like Ned Miles... Yeah, Ned, Ned, yeah, but like my thing with Miles is like I wanted... I don't know what I wanted, and I feel like there's lacking there, and maybe it's just me being nitpicky, because I, I loved Miles' story, his his rise where he is. And as we go through the story here, we find out more and more details. I was like, Oh, that's why, you know, because as we move along in the story, right? Like I feel when we go to, I guess we get spot man. What's his name? Spot man. The spot, the spot. You were concerned. Remember we talked about it. I think when you're like, Oh, they're making him seem too kind of like goofy and, and too, but he's, you said, I think, they're under underusing this character, but yet well, I, I, this I, character I, fucking starts. The past is that I've always thought this character has a lot of potential, and yeah. very rarely has that potential been utilized. Uh, there was a Daredevil arc in the comics where they really went all in on the spot. A couple more than one arc in Daredevil, uh, but generally speaking, he's just treated as a joke when he's ridiculously powerful. And this movie does both. It treats him as a joke, and then points out that that because he's a joke, they're overlooking the biggest threat of all until it's too late and and by the way that that everything about the spot was just spot on i, I don't mean that as a uh, pun. It was, it was, i really don't mean that as a pun it was perfect it was <laughs> extremely well done from the sandwiches or the, the bread falling out of his belly to the the in inability to steal atms to him being ready to destroy the multiverse every step along the way felt right so i don't know if i'm jumping too far ahead but when we meet me, when we we meet the the, the team, they meet Miles. We meet the multiverse. The multi, we go. I don't know what do they call it. Spider Central. Uh, spider Society. I think people have been talking about uh, is the word we use. Here's where I want to touch base on, on Miguel. All right. So so we meet everybody, and I want to get into as much of that as you want to. Yeah. But like, I want to touch base on Miguel specifically. 
Um, so he is presented much as he is in the comics, which is he's from the future, give or take a hundred years. Um, he is, uh, I mean, obviously a hundred years. If you, he's, he's 29, nine, that's only, you know, 80 years from now. I know, I know, but at the time he was created, it was more than a hundred years. Anyway, whatever. Um, but he is, uh, Mexican and, uh, Irish, you know, he's, 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 uh, Latino and Irish. Um, he is a genius, uh, in both genetics and, and, and technology. Um, and unlike Peter Parker, he doesn't joke his way through battles. Um, he's very practical. Uh, in the comics, there's an early on story where he's fighting his version of the vulture, who is literally a cannibal, and the vulture's wings break down, and he's about to fall, you know, thousands of feet to the to the to the ground. And Miguel goes to catch him, and then pauses and goes, "He's a he's a cannibal. Why am I gonna catch him?" And then just lets him fall. And that's something Peter Parker would never do. He's not the Punisher. He's not going out to kill people. But at the same time, he's like, if this is better outcome in the long run, it may not be comfortable for me on the inside, but it's something that needs to happen. I will do it. It's pragmatic. Um, very pragmatic. <clears throat> and the other thing about, about uh, Miguel is that he comes with, with Lila, who's that little hologram assistant. She's in the comics too. There's this great scene in the comics where she's like, you were talking to another computer. Sometimes I think you don't care about me at all. You you hmm. don't even consider yourself about my emotions. And he's like, you don't have emotions. You have programming. She goes, I know, but I put that program in to see how you'd like it. What do you think? Very good. You should get an AI Oscar. Thank you. Anyway, here's your dinner. And it's like, you know, I, I love this idea of this very, very serious and pragmatic Spider-Man and a goofy little assistant. And I, I love that. They need that though because we already had we we don't need another brooding because yeah. you fact, potentially yeah could have been that boring dark like spider-man exactly but then here's the thing though he does become that uh, they also refer to him in the movie i mean they also refer to him as, as being part vampire uh he is not part vampire in the comics i don't i don't think they're going to go in with him being a vampire in the next movie either uh but he does have fangs and venom because when he became part spider, he literally became part spider. So he can have fangs that pop out and inject venom into you just like a spider would. Um, he doesn't. Which I, yeah, I thought it was. He, he does, he I thought it was going to be maybe. I don't know. Like you said, venom, but a cannibalistic spider. Right. Well, he's not. He he he, he has it in him to be that. But and, I'm saying then, is, then, what if we get to that right? point? What's, what's neat about his claws is that whereas Peter Parker just touches a wall and sticks to it, he has these claws that stick out of each finger pad, and that's how he sticks to it. So he's he just looks dangerous. And and here's where I wanted to touch base on the the optics of this. And I want to ask okay. your thoughts on this. All right. Okay, go. Shoot. So people have been talking about the idea that there seems like the movie studios have done a lot of brown versus black in films. Uh, you know, you've got stuff like, for example, Wakanda, Wakanda Forever, Forever, where yeah. they took a character who is not white. I, I maintain he was never white in the comics, but is often drawn white, right? Um, and they made him very, very um, Mesoamerican. Literally made him Mayan, although have him played by by a uh, Mexica or a Nahuatl actor. Um, but um, but the end result is instead of having a white person chasing down a black person. It's a brown person chasing down a black person. And I don't think that was the intention for this film. I think for this film going in, they always wanted to use Miguel and it made, made a lot of sense. But the end result is you do have this same dynamic that has shown up in several films of having um, Latinos going after 
uh, people who are, are African-American. Now, of course, Miles, obviously also Latino as well. I, I want to make sure that's very, very clear. I'm not implying otherwise. Yeah. But on the surface, that's the optics they seem to be portraying. And I heard somebody argue that if it was a, just an alternate Peter Parker that went after him, it would be a very different uh, visual of, of this white guy leading a white army after, you know, teenage uh, African-American, you know, uh, Miles. I agree, but I also don't know how I feel about this. I want to ask, what, what are your thoughts? What do you think about that idea? I think that Miguel, op, the optics, yes, it looks bad. Optically, I mean, it looks bad. He's he's darker complected in the movie than he is in the comics. True, but I think that they tried to kind of cover that up with the fact that they kept they spoke Spanish. He mentioned empanadas. They wanted to show this like, hey, he's not white. He's just okay. Lighter. They do both speak Spanish, but when Miguel, sorry, when Miles speaks Spanish to Miguel, he doesn't respond in Spanish. He says something in Spanish to himself and then responds in English only to, to Miles. I and thought it was just being a dick to that Miles. Is, that is what that is. But I mean, it adds an extra cultural layer to it uh, when you consider. Well, because the, then we, we dive into that conversation of like, not only that, but you're bringing up within the Latino community the issue exactly we've always talked about. Talked about. Within the Latino colorism. community, there is a lot of colorism, especially towards Afro-Latinos. Um, uh, whether or not they count as being Latinos, or and, uh, if you don't speak the language enough, are you Latino enough? That was that's something I get a lot, but I want to focus on the colorism aspect of it for a second, uh, because I don't think it's fair to compare my my history to to that history. But sure. what I'm saying is, is that like when you have somebody who who in the film is presented very very uh, uh, brown, you know, and then not acknowledging the Latino aspect of of Miles, when he tries to speak to him in Spanish, that is a code within the community basically saying that I'm not accepting you as being Latino. And that's not, I don't think that's what Miguel's doing as a character, but as something on screen, it does have that effect. I agree. I really do. You know, we can, like you said, we, when we go into specifics, right, uh, the dynamics between these two characters, what they represent, you know, things like that. But initially, just optically, yeah, it's versus. And yeah. Not only that, you made them a little darker, like you said, but at the same time, it's still the same scenario. It's still within the, like you said, the colorism we, we deal with, the nationalism we deal with, mm -hmm. you know, like within the Latino community as well. Like I'm from Spain, so I'm not Latino and, you know, I'm better than you because I'm, I'm lighter and it, it becomes this yeah. whole classism yeah. stuff to beyond the color. So, yeah, it's shitty, but. Do you think that the message behind this film would fit that same motif? Because I don't think that this film has the same argument as Wakanda Forever. I feel like the Wakanda Forever argument was like, yeah, hey, brown versus black. And the, 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 the Marvel wants us to fight each other instead of unifying us. And this is this, uh, this is us versus them in this film. I don't feel that much of a, of a yeah, push for well, that. that that's, uh, that's because in Wakanda Forever, that was the, the impetus. They, the idea was is that Wakanda is about na na nationhood. It's about who they are as a people. And for Namor, it was the same deal, where it's about who his people are as a nation. So that is inherently part of that discussion. Whereas here, it's surface level. Here, it is not the reason for the battle. In fact, the reason for the battle is the same exact plot as the flash 
the, the whole premise of the flash was, you know, as much as you want to go save your, your mom, there are a lot of other things that could be affected by the timeline being altered. And that's basically what Miguel says. And I find it just fascinating that these two movies have the same premise. One treats it as a, you just have to accept it. And the other treats it as the youth saying, maybe we don't. So can we dive into the details? Yeah. Let's and, you know, I, other characters. So we can, we can go in depth like that. But my thing is a, the fact that they told us like in so many ways, Oh, Miles is not supposed to be Spider-Man. Yeah. Which was okay. the, the filmmakers flat out said, yes, they were making a nod to that aspect of the quote unquote fandom that says that Miles isn't the real Spider-Man. They're, they're, they were basically saying, this is you. This is what you sound like. Yeah. And I, I, part of me is a little bit, I think it's unfortunate that Miguel has become the figurehead for that. But thankfully, I don't think fandom has, has grown to hate the character so much as just find it fascinating. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's exactly what they were intending to do is show that part of the fandom that says you're claiming that only Peter Parker can be Spider-Man. It's been in the comics for years that anybody could be Spider-Man. And Stanley said it himself. Stanley said himself, once that mask is on, you could be anything under that, uh, under that, 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 that clothing. You could be black, you'd be white, you'd be a kid, you could be an adult. Which is a great message, right? Like you're not, you're not going to tell me what to do. Like Miles is dealing with that right now. I want to go to this school. Remember his parents like, no, don't go far away. You know, that's the best place I want to go. Like, but he's trying to be, be the best kid he can for his parents. But he also has his dreams, what he wants to do. We deal with this, his Spider-Man identity, right? Now he's being told you're not supposed to be Spider-Man, you know? And we learn that if you prevent your father's death, we learn about canon events. Let's talk about canon events. Which right? I love that idea. They say it's not canon, doesn't count. I, I literally had this conversation with somebody online earlier this week about what's canon and what's not. And um, that was actually my job at Marvel. <laughs> was, so was let's talk about canon events. I love this idea because it, it was never mentioned or used, that term. No, but I cracked up. When, when he first says it in the battle with the vulture at the beginning, I started yeah. laughing and I'm like, I can't believe he said that. Then it became the full plot of the movie. But at the beginning, I just heard that him say, uh, canon event coming up. I'm like, really? Oh my God, he just said it out loud. So we meet Spider-Man in India? Right. Yeah. We meet Spider-Man India, um, which is a character from the comics. Uh, they've completely redesigned him uh, with the input of a lot of Indian creators. I, I'll be honest, the original design of the comics never really appealed to me because it was just Spider-Man's costume plus some clothing on top. This gotcha. guy looks like his own character. I love um, it. Yeah, I and, love um, it. You know, it's it's funny. Marvel did something recently in the comics with a character called Thunderbird, uh, Proudstar, James Proudstar. Okay. Or John, John Proudstar. He was designed in the 70s at, to be a, a, an Apache superhero, uh, but the you know creators of him were white. And then they went and said to some actual Apache people, said, hey, you want to redesign this character? And, and they did using symbols and colors and stuff that is appropriate to their community. And that's essentially what happened here with Indian Spider-Man where they even brought in the actor and said, Hey, what do you want him to say to make him sound? I love that. And it's, and he did, he, he's a comedian. He, you know, he did his deal and like, I loved it. He gave that authenticity to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. And why I bring up that is that when they mentioned like the, the fact that he rescued a a person is, Oh, canon event, canon event. And I'm like, Oh, me being video game geeky, all that. You're like, Oh shit, this is important. And then we, we learn Throughout, mm-hmm. then when you go to the Spider Central, I'm sorry, I'm butchering it. Whatever it's called, Spider Central is fine. Spider Central is like Party Central, but with spiders. Um, Spider Man, peoples, Spider Peeps. 
Um, <laughs> but when when we get there, the fact that they explain that these canon events have to happen, there's always like you know, kind of remembering the whole. There's always an Uncle Ben. There's always a Peter Parker. There's always some tragedy. And my question to you, Mister Canon Garcia. Miguel tells a story about him trying to insert himself into a, into a timeline or to a universe. He explains he lived it out, etc., but it glitched out so bad that the world itself collapsed, right? Why? And everyone tell me, if you can't answer someone, please. We, oh, okay. Peter Parker from the first one. Which one is it? Peter, Peter B. B. Parker. B. Parker shows up with his baby. Awesome, cute moment, right? All that. Why does Miguel look to Peter for that? If is that that wasn't Peter's world that was no, the, that, that was that's very that's actually a very easy answer. Um, okay, I thought go. this was gonna be I thought it was gonna be a harder question. Okay, so <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, 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 because I thought you were going somewhere else with this. Um, which I'll get to that. What I thought you were saying. Maybe go. Let's go down that path. Maybe. Okay, so let's start with with your question. Uh, why does he turn to Peter? Very simply, is this: We all know Peter B. Parker was Miles' mentor. He didn't want to be it, but then he was like, "Yeah, I'm his mentor. I taught him stuff." You know that that's what happened in the first movie. Um, the, the, if Peter B. Parker wasn't going to buy into Miles' line of thinking, this movie could not happen. And if you just had Miles explain to Peter B. Parker, here's why you need to understand this, it would not have worked. But when they show the flashback to the world falling apart, Peter B. Parker is present, helping him try to hold that world together. Uh, he's literally standing behind him in that flashback. So like that was necessary to explain why Peter B. Parker would go along with this. For Gwen, she's a teenager. She's a teenager who's lost. She's a teenager who has now a mother figure. And now Peter B. Parker, who is a friend of hers that she trusts, they're all telling her, trust me, this is the way you have to go. So she's going to go with it. That doesn't make her gullible. That just makes her normal, right? No, 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 no. I'm talking specifically. But for Peter B. Parker, it had to be something that he had personally witnessed for him to be bought onto this line of thinking. So they, they have him throw that line out of, right, Peter? Because the, when he says that, they show a flashback where Peter is present in that world falling apart. That is yeah. necessary because so many times movies just kind of gloss over this. They, they call it the, the idiot stick. They, call, they hit the character with the idiot stick and made them go along with it. If they had not shown that scene, Peter would have been hit with the idiot stick. Right? Why was Peter there? Okay, Peter was there because... Well, that wasn't his world. No, there was no reason for him oh, to be there. Wait, no, he was there for a reason. He said, "My uh, um, Miguel said that as the world fell apart, he asked for help, and the help that came in was Peter B. Parker. So, so that's why okay. he was there. Yeah, that's, I that's took right. it as he inserted himself, and that was Peter's world. Like, what no, makes it, no it, sense because MJ's it, alive. I mean, it could have been Peter's world, but if it was, it'd be a hundred years in the future." Because remember, he exists. Miguel is is canonically from the future, just like um, Nicolas Cage's uh, Peter Parker is is canonically from 1933. Um, you know, this guy's Peter Parker. This guy's uh, Miguel O'Hara, rather, is from the the year 2099. So he he is from the future. Um, so yeah, Peter. Okay. that answers just, my question. I feel like, but, but let's get. To I the, needed to understand why. If you're showing me, and it bugged me because I'm like, it made it seem as though he was just in that world and hey man proof is in the pudding no, he, he, he you said saw he called it for help. Up. he said he called for help and that was the help that okay. showed up okay. Okay. he didn't say Thank specifically you. peter is the one who showed up he said i called for help right peter you know that kind of thing all right but let's get on to the, what i thought you were asking and that okay. is um and this is a fan theory that's been going on since the movie came out that the um 
Miguel says that once a canon event's been disrupted, the world falls apart, all right? And what determines a canon event, that's a big question. But Peter B. Parker had given up on Mary Jane, had given up on family, and after interacting with, with Miles, goes home, reconnects, they have a baby. He flat out says, if not for you, this baby would not be born. So the question is, how is that not a canon event? We don't sure. have an answer for that yet because we don't know what causes canon events. I say there's one of two options, right? All right. One option is canon events do have to happen, but that doesn't mean they have to happen the way they were expected to happen, right? So which means uh, by stepping into this other world, he completely disrupted the timeline of that world, right? But uh, the other option is it was a coincidence. His world got destroyed because of what the spot was doing. It had nothing to do with him adopting a little girl, which makes Miguel look like an idiot. I really hope that they don't do that second one. I feel like when the, when the third movie comes out, there's a good chance. And, I, and again, I trust Lord and Miller and, and the creative team enough. But I feel like there's a good chance that they're going to establish that it was never a canon event that caused that to happen. And if that's the case, that means Miguel has literally stood by and watched thousands of people die because it was unnecessarily. Yeah. Now the difference is, is in the, is in the comic books. It's not a algorithm that's predicting the canon events. There is somebody actually tied into the spider totem of the multiverse that knows how things are supposed to go. And they don't, they don't say canon event in a sense, but they have a similar ability of being able to, you know, see what's going to happen. And they don't go in and save Peter Parker every time a tragedy happens for just that reason. It's, it's, it's a tragedy on that world. You can't go and solve somebody else's problems every time. Sometimes they have to fail. It's just, if we're going there, you know what I think is going to happen? A new term is going to be used. A retcon event. (laughs) I'm telling you, you, something like that's going to come out of nowhere. Active cannon. Why not? Retcon. (laughs) Retcon. It's a retcon. We're like, what's that? Well, because retcon is retroactive continuity, but, but yeah, I like that. Yeah. Like, like imagine, like, I feel like that's where it's going to go because this movie can surprise the hell out of me. If they don't use it, great. If you're listening out there, NSA agent, the CIA is listening, pass it on, Tony. But like literally, because there's a there's a there's a theme with these films and the story. It's be true to yourself, make your own way, support, love, right? Express yourself. I see a picture in my head where the all the multiverse is collapsing, but all the Spider-Man peeps rebuild it. Like there's a there's a web that they rebuild things with. You know, like I don't know. I mean, it's, maybe it's, it's just me being hopeful that we get something where. Why do we have millions of spider peeps hanging out? We're not really going to get to to interact with them. But in this sense, there's a chase with all everybody. Well, before we get into the, the chase, flip of that, to help let's them. talk about let's talk about some of those other characters that are in that batch. Let's talk about it. I, I mentioned already the Western one. He's he's great. You have a horse. This is a joke that's happened in the comics, and they also did this joke in the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, I believe. Why does the horse wear a mask to hide his identity? I love it. It's beautiful. It's a it's a joke that's been said repeatedly, but I love it every time. Um, there's spider Rex who's in there. There's a spider cat who's new. Um, there's a spider mobile who is a Peter parked car. Um, uh, there, there, uh, yes. There, there's one character that I'm actually surprised to see there. Uh, his name is Scarlet spider. spider. No, well, that's great. We get to him. We got, I want to get to the real characters in a minute, <laughs> um, but there's one character I'm surprised to see there. He's spider side. Uh, he's briefly sitting inside a parked car and his name is identified. It says of earth Six Sixteen. Uh, in earth Six Sixteen, spider side is a, shape-shifting clone of Peter Parker that is a mass murderer. So 
I don't know what happened that made him say, you know what, I'm going to team up with a talking car and be a good guy. Um, so that's kind of weird. Um, but, you know, and there's also a lady spider who's basically like a Dr. Octopus steampunk spider woman. Uh, there's a bunch of characters that are in there. Um, but let's talk about the big ones. Spider uh, punk. He's, yeah, he's name dropped several times before he shows up. Hobie. Spider Hobie. Punk. Hobie. Yeah. yeah, you mentioned earlier about how there's an animation difference. Uh, he is He has not the lowest animation rate in this film by the way, the hmm. lowest animation rate in this film belongs to Spider-Man 67, who swings in and can't get out of his swing pose. <laughs> Which I love. That is beautiful. Um, if, you, if you guys haven't watched the old 60s Marvel cartoons, they are horrible. <laughs> Spider-Man was the most animated so of all bad. of them, but for the most part, they would take... Which one was it where like he was on, this, on a team with Iceman? Oh, that's... Spider-Man Spider Iceman? Amazing Friends. That's an 80s cartoon. That, that one had a little bit more animation. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So, so the least animation is Spider-Man sixty-seven. But, but this right, Spider-Man shows up. He is actually actively not just a lower frame rate, rate, but he has an odd numbered frame rate compared to everybody else because he is completely breaking the system every time he shows up. I love him. I love him. Initially, I was like, I'm supposed to hate him right now, but I don't because <laughs> he's introduced. He's hinted at being a romantic rival. To exactly. Miles. But I have the pop figure. I have that pop figure from years ago when they released it because I love Spider-Punk. I loved him from the video game. I wore that costume in the Insomniac game. I, I, I read the books. Like I, I liked spider I loved that character. Exactly. And, 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 and the fact that he shows up as a... Um, as, as just a complete... An anarchist. An anarchist, but also a friend of Miles. Like immediately, without even questioning it. Maybe it's because he's like, dude, hey, I dig you. Like oh you're the one that you're the one that did all that like because I'm sure Gwen talked to him about talked about him all the time, mm -hmm. you know like there's a hint that oh this is Miles not only that's kind of cool not only is Miles hearing Hobie all the time, Hobie's hearing Miles probably all the time and he's like oh okay cool you're the dude open your fingers bro you know like to the shield and they break that shield and he's helpful as hell it's hard to hate him there's no reason to hate him and and None. That, that that actually brings me to uh, back around to the point I was saying earlier about the whole brown versus black thing being yeah. controversy is because, um, you know, we have Miguel being set up opposed to Miles, but then we have Hobie, who, who's black, instantly uh, backing him up on everything that he does. And, and he's not the only one because we also have a, a, a hacker character who shows yeah. up um, and she immediately backs him up as well. I mean, she flirts with him a little bit, which I think is great. Spider bite. Um, and so fun. Yeah. And, and so the, the, the optics now you have is that the white characters that have said they're his allies, Peter B. Parker and Gwen do back him up eventually when they realize that, that he's right. But the black characters who just met him, Hobie and, and spider bite immediately back him up. And, what does that say? It says Told a lot me. about allyship. Now, and of course, there's, it's not every black character. Jess is obviously on Miguel's side. She doesn't say much. We don't really know what she's thinking, but she's definitely on Miguel's side. Um, I, I I cannot stress enough, I, I, based on what's in the film, especially if you think about it in concert with the Flash movie, I don't think Miguel is flat out wrong. I think the way he reacts to things is wrong. I think the way he goes through with things. Uh, Peter saying, this is not what we agreed on to Miguel says a lot. Um, but even that statement is enough to make Miles not trust his old friends. Yeah, it's it's shitty because how hard is it? One, you work around students, right? 
for yeah. a young person to trust an adult. Yeah. It is hard because they immediately think I'm going to be judged. He's not going to understand me. He's just playing along. He's going to tell my parents like how hard is it to just be genuine and an adult be open hearted enough to go. I hear you, man. I'm with you. You know, and he had that with Peter. That's why he loves Peter. He loves Peter. Like but there's, Peter there's still hesitates before helping him. Like even when he's trying to like tell him to come back and not run away when he's oh, got a baby with him. Oh, hear not, me out. Go ahead. Hear me out. I'm gonna be Walter. Sorry, la, 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 la. <laughs> let me be Walter there and like you know interrupt. What if the theme here, the symbolism is, I have a baby. I have something to lose. I can't just be that that ally you had me now. Now you were you you were the cool reason that I wanted one. I wanted a baby. Now that I have one of my own to lose, I'm more hesitant. You know, I'm with you on that. Except that I don't feel like the movie shows that at all. In fact, one thing I really loved about Baby Mayday in this movie is that she is never presented as a liability. There is never a scene in this movie where Peter makes a decision because he's worried about her because he, even as a baby, he trusts her to be okay. And he also trusts himself to be able to, you know, he's got spider sense and everything. To so is it the opposite? It's the opposite. Well, he's it's the opposite. Totally cool with the baby. It's, so, it's even Jess who's pregnant is never worried about that aspect of her. So I, I honestly find that refreshing. It's so easy for the okay. baby to become the liability that that doesn't happen right now. Um, I think you're right then looking at it that way, but I feel like even though no matter what, you're a parent. Yeah, no, no, this parent, is true. But, but, but see, from Peter's perspective, he is a parent to both Miles and Mayday. Yeah. And from Miles' perspective, you were a friend who I don't trust anymore. That hurts, you know? man. And, and, and that from hurts. Peter's perspective, he's like, look, I know this sucks, but we need to talk about it. And, you know, I feel like Peter could be convinced that maybe the canon events aren't the good idea. But that being said, at that moment, he's like, we need to talk about it. And running away isn't going to fix it. Which has so, a lot to do with his age, too. If Peter, true. if this was 16-year-old Peter Parker, he'd be doing the same thing. So if we look at it in that, in that way, as he's playing the father figure for him right now, right? Mm -hmm. And spider dad, because he got his dad. Miles has a very present father, you know, 100%. Different avenue, mm -hmm. right? They carry over. They both intertwine, which is great. Um, I think that Peter himself, even towards when he sees that, hey, we didn't talk about this. It's that panic because like, oh shit, Miles, I'm with you, homie. Like, I got you. I love you. I didn't, this didn't mean to happen. Like, I'm an ally. I'm with you. But it's that panic of like, doubt does protest too much. Like, you knew. Yeah. You knew what we was going with this. Yep. And you're just covering yourself up. You're trying to walk away clean. Exactly. The betrayal that Miles feels on behalf, because of Peter's actions, not being truthful, mm -hmm. knowing what's going to happen, you know, mm -hmm. that, that, tears at that relationship which we felt at the end of the last film it was rock solid you know and it's heartbreaking uh, to to watch the first film and be a fan of that relationship to see it temporarily you know like most relationships go through this hard hard snap of the of the web if you will but after all that Let's take a moment to think it over. I'm about to go Peter Parker. I'm Spider-Man. If he ain't me, he just a creepy crawler. Touch by the lighter. Pull up in a new Ferrari spider. Spider web neck.
with your diamonds she turned spider woman if a biter i would not go back and forth with you all right primos so kevin are you a childish gambino fan do you know <laughs> sonic glover do you, you watch are? atlanta i don't the last one the other stuff yes um but but uh but yeah you know i i i love that there was live action cameos in this we yes. got a little bit of a confirmation of exactly what universe venom in the venom movies is from which i think is weird but all right go with it i loved it um, loved it i was like yes the the storekeeper was just like whatever keep talking i, I, I have a monster so eat people in front of me so now we have I'm our good. universe for venom and morbius and presumably craven um yeah. and then uh we get also donald glover who already has appeared as uh, Aaron Davis when he was in um, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, right? Yeah. Or was it Far From Home? But he was in one of the Spider-Man Homecoming, first one. Homecoming. Yeah, yeah. first one, because he was looking for the vulture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in that movie, he confirmed that he had a nephew named Miles who was at least old enough to have a conversation on the phone. So um, that means that Miles exists in uh, you know the MCU. Um, and here he's the Prowler. I, I, on the one hand, I love that we get to see that. On the other hand, I would rather have seen that in Miles' eventual movie. And I know that apparently Sony's already announced they want to do a Miles live action Yeah, movie. they do. I'm, I'm hoping that means spinning out of the the, the current Spider-Man movie is not its own thing. We'll see what happens. But either way, I would rather, you know, him as the Prowler. I mean, I mean hold on. You don't want a live action Miles Morales slash Lego Spider-Man? I mean, oh, I totally do. Everybody does. <laughs> Uh, on the Lego Spider-Man, I cannot believe how good that is, and the fact that it was done by a fourteen-year-old. Fourteen-year-old, so good. Mm -hmm. um, other characters at toward the end, though, because we have this this ending where um, Miguel sends you know Jess and and his other trusted associate Ben Riley after him, which honestly mm. hilarious. Ben Riley is like ultimate '90s back when there was like overdoing clones, overdoing <laughs> grim, dark, and costumes. And it's funny because his costume itself is fairly bright colored compared to a lot of the Spider-Man costumes. But he's still dark and he's so dark. so muscly defined. I love it. It was so great. I, um, I lost my shit when I saw him on screen. I was like, "Yes!" My was son's funny. like, "Who's that?" And I go, I "That it was, was going to be a cameo." <laughs> it was so good. He went after um, him. But anyway, he, he lands in Universe Forty Two, which, if you were paying attention earlier in the movie, they said that the spider that bit Miles was from Universe Forty Two, and they said that um, the when he's having the machine send him back. The machine says Earth identified Earth 42. It tells you right there. So if you were paying attention, you know, it's easy. You to knew where it was going to go. Yeah, exactly. But that being said, they were so slow on the reveal that where so much of the movie was like, we trust you to figure it out. This one was like, we trust you to figure it out, but we're still not going to spell it out. Here's you know, the deal. Here's the deal. I saw it coming, right? I saw something coming and I go, why did they reference the number? Why did they reference the spider? I was putting one and one together, and I go, okay, how are they going to do this? We flip. The only thing, and this is how amazing this movie is, man. If you hadn't seen the numbers, okay, mm -hmm. and that happened, what would have differentiated or made you tip you off that that was not his room? Two things. Uh, I didn't get enough of the room. Like, obviously, you pay attention that you can see into the room. Yeah. I didn't notice that because I'm busy watching the characters. Two things. One is the second the mother says who on Spider-Man. That's everything. But two, right before that happens, Gwen is looking in the window, and the windows are opening the opposite direction. And, like, because, like, in, in his reality, the curtains were going like this. In her reality, there was something going down instead. And that was interesting, you know. But uh, My son? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He goes, 
her eyes are green. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, you're right. That's how detailed they were, man. Like, that was awesome, that catch. And I was like, oh, shit, you're right. And then I, okay, I mean, even without, I knew the numbers. I knew, okay, this is what's going to happen. Because it was done so good in so comic book fashion and so TV tropey if even she's showing up. We think he's in the room. We know at different times and places. Great. I was all about it. I ate it up. That got me. And I was like, Sony, you fucking get it. Good way. Now, what's really interesting is once they establish that this is a different world, it is a very different world because um, Miles is played by a different actor. At first, I was like, wow, the guy really changed his voice for this role. But I was like, no, it's a different actor. It's yeah. like Jarrell Jerome, who's in is in this amazing series called but I'm a uh, called I'm a Virgo, which is coming out, uh, I think, next, beginning of next year, which I cannot cannot stress enough is going to be amazing. Um, but uh, what's really funny to me is at the beginning of the movie, Miles is trying to throw off his parents and says, oh, I heard I heard that Spider-Man's a Dominican, not not Puerto Rican. Jarrell Jerome <laughs> is Dominican. And uh, so by the end of the movie, Miles is Dominican. I mean, that's awesome. Still, the character is still Puerto Rican. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But, that was good. But but that's hilarious. And 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 then I, the first thing I caught was like, wow, he actually pronounces Spanish better. <laughs> Which true. <laughs> I think it's, I think the cameos are great in this one, and they're they're subtle. They're in your face when you need to be, and I, 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 I appreciate say, that stuff, man. I do, I do. But I was not expecting the ending to be such a cliffhanger, like. I, I think a lot of people always compare middle movies to Empire Strikes Back, but I, I can't really call that a cliffhanger. Yes, it is for Han Solo's character, but for everybody else, they technically have an ending of that story. If they never made another movie, that movie still would have made sense. Um, but this is a full-on cliffhanger, where if there's no other movie, the story's not finished. Obviously, we already know they got the movie and everything, but I was not expecting it to be that much of a cliffhanger. You know, I think that... It did its job because, you know, me, I told you, like, I like to kind of like, oh, I see where this is going. I ruin movies for myself sometimes. But when we got to the fact that the pro- his, his uncle's alive, I figured, oh, well, well, you know, we find out in this universe, his father passed. Right. And we go to, to the Prowler's lair. In my eyes, he's still the Prowler. Not that Miles was the prowler. I didn't see it coming. So that twist got me. I didn't I didn't either, but uh well I mean I did once he said I'm not the prowler, I knew who it was. Yeah. But uh, but I did like earlier in the film where the mother's asking earlier in that scene that 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 bit rather where the mother's like, What'd you do to your hair? Yeah. Um it's a lot to undo those braids. So that's that's you know interesting. But yeah. but here's the thing that that uh gets me is the background. When you see the city it's on fire, right? And I on the one hand, I really wish since Sony keeps making a big deal about having their own universe, I wish they'd show some background characters that are like superheroes they technically have rights to, you know. Um, but there's not very many, of course. Uh, but at the same time, I, you know, what happened? Like the big joke on Batman is that he created his villains that they wouldn't exist if he didn't exist, right? But with Spider-Man, can you say that? Like if Spider-Man wasn't around, Doctor Octopus still would have been created. You know, the Lizard still would have been created. Um, so what happened to this world? I really hope in the next movie we do get those hints. Because te- technically, oh no, the spider was supposed to be in that world. 
And so that spider was going to bite someone. No, well, not just someone. They show you earlier in the film, in across in across the Spider Verse, you see who that spider was supposed to bite, and that was Miles. Mm, was supposed to bite him. He was yeah, going to be the go. original Spider-Man of that world, apparently, because there's no Peter Parker that we know of. So he was going to be the original Spider-Man of that world. Yeah, I think it's not the best way to end the film. I mean, okay, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Gwen going home. I like that scene oh, that with that. That was awesome. And then the fact that Hobie came through at the end, you know, like, hey, that one weird guy came through here and gave you something. It's like, yes, this fucking guy is awesome. Super genius that built all of the stuff that Miguel did with future technology with whatever he picked up. Yep. I loved it. And throughout the movie, I also, like, love, that, I also love that Hobie's portals look like Hobie. Like, like That's true. His, his portals are all like cutouts and stuff. I love it, man. So the ending, yeah, like the, the cliffhanger part of it, and you're kind of like, oh, shit. Okay, here we go. You're going to leave it here. But Gwen gets the gang back together, technically. You know, like, here we awesome. go. You know, so I'm excited for it, you know, and I, I, but I say, and I still stand by it. This is a Gwen film mm-hmm. mostly, mm-hmm. and this is a setup. I still say it's, ending, 40, I say it's 40% Gwen. 40 Gwen, 40, 60. Okay. I mean, I'll give you that much. I think it's more Gwen. There's some, there's some miles sprinkled in miles. Seems like the, the subplot, my opinion, but mm-hmm. Hey, you have yours. I have mine, Mr. Cannon Garcia. But There's overall, I mean, we want to go down to give it a score. I know we like to score things here on a scale of five. What do so you give this movie? I would call Into the Spider-Verse a five out of five. I would Hands call down. Across the Spider-Verse, which is inherently, I think, a more, a more thoughtful and in-depth movie. I'd give a four out of five. Because it is incomplete. And because the first movie did have more to to prove and have being a new thing. And and also I'll, I'll be honest with you, part of the rating is the fact that I don't I didn't want a kid's movie. I want I'm actually I'm very back from the microphone. I didn't want a, a kid's movie, but I also wanted this to be a little bit more kid friendly, I guess. Um, again, not a knock to this movie, still one of the best movies of the year. Um, definitely in terms of superhero films, certainly. Um, but that's where I put it. You? I, before I get my number, this film is that, is Back to the Future Part 2 for me. It's a favorite. It's a a lot of heavy lifting. And the fact that we have a third to look forward to does still make this a four out of five film. The fact that we get a lot more deeper conversations. We get to see more of Gwen's struggle. We get to see Miles kind of, I think I have my issues with, with, with the Miles storyline per se, not the, not the Spider-Man Miles Morales, but Miles Morales himself. Um, because he, he, at the end of the, at the end of this, Spider-Man and Miles Morales are the same person, but there's still a division that Miles needs to kind of get, needs to bridge that gap. Yep. And we're not there yet. Which is probably going to happen in the next film, um, because you you are Spider Man, you know, and I don't I don't think he's made that connection yet, but I love the I love the the fact that we get to see all the Spider Man, all the cameos. I love the tones where it does get serious, but I agree with you; it's not as inviting to most younger audiences. There are 
parts where it's kind of unfortunately maybe over their head. I'm saying Sony doesn't underestimate their audience, but a lot of the themes, a lot of the yeah, conversation dialogue down kids, but this movie no. does talk above them a lot because it, it asks yeah. you to infer things about understanding loss without actually addressing it. So in that sense, it's a four to five because it it's great. Definitely a must watch, obviously a was oh, must watch, but the music's not where it needed to be. And because of those kind of talking above so high, I feel it falls at a four. There's one last thing I want to touch on before we, we close off this conversation. And that is the after effect of this movie. Um, I, I touched on this earlier when I mentioned that Spider-Verse really started with the nineties cartoon where they were all just versions of Peter Parker and then got spread into a Dan Slott Spider-Verse where it was called Spider-Verse and it was mostly Peter Parker. Um, uh, but it really evolved with the first uh, you know, Spider-Verse movie where people all over the world were like, this is my Spider-Sona. And that has thankfully come back again with this movie with a vengeance because there's just so many people out there that are like, yeah, you know what? I could be a hero and not just any hero, a spider hero. And this is the kind of spider hero I'd be. And this movie leans into that hardcore. We have um, a, 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 a wheelchair bound uh, uh, spider woman who, uh, who's there, who's son spider. She's amazing. Um, and the actor who plays her, by the way, has the same condition as the character. So that's really oh, cool. Wow. Um, you know, we have people of all different ethnicities, body shapes in this movie is is yeah. all over the place. It's very interesting. And it's never meant to be a joke. It's never thrown out there as like, hey, this person's different. You know, it's just, no, everybody's Spider-Man. And I just, I love that this has had such a strong effect. It's going to have, it has legs. It, it's pop culture and every essence of it. I mean, everything from the music, the the dialogue, the characters, you know, everyone can identify with somebody. And the fact that, the only downside, man, is like, man, for the eight-year-old kid that sat behind me, a lot of this went over his head. And he's like, Mom, like waiting, like when's when's the fun stuff gonna happen? You know, and that's jokes. And that's the I, thing. Honestly, there to me, there was only one thing actually missing from this movie. Japanese Spider-Man. Oh my god, here we go. They, they, they said he was gonna be in the first movie, but Sony told him no. And then after the words, they were like, Sony said we can do whatever we want with the sequel. I was like, yes. We're going to get Japanese Spider-Man. We didn't get Japanese Spider-Man. It's okay. There's another movie to potentially have Japanese Spider-Man. Maybe yeah. he teams up with Ultraman and Kamen Rider and they fucking go nuts. You know, I, we don't know I'm that. that. I'm here for that. <laughs> well, I think Primos, we've reached the end of the show tonight. And uh, please let us know your thoughts on the Spider-Verse in general, everything at my Primos Podcast. And of course, no, you can also go to myprimospodcast.com and Kevin Garcia underscore com for all your canon events that he can definitely go into with you. And yeah. thank hey, you for listening. Free. If you reach me on, on TikTok, ask me questions, uh, canon questions on TikTok. I will do videos answering them. There you go. He will do videos directly for you. For you, primos. As of course, on behalf of Mr. Kevin Garcia.com, Mr. Eddie in the cloud somewhere floating around doing the editing for us and Walter digging a hole in the tundra. Buenas noches, primos. Adios. We out!